This is Hemant Mehta for the Friendly Atheist Podcast. I'm going solo today. If you like what you're listening to, please go to patreon.com slash Friendly Atheist Podcast. With so many Americans turning away from religion, it's natural to wonder whether a secular left can ever challenge the religious right. A new book attempts to answer that question. It's called Secular Surge, A New Fault Line in American Politics, and it's written by three people who know this topic better than most of us ever could. David Campbell is the Packy J.D. Professor of American Democracy at the University of Notre Dame, who has written extensively about religion's role in American politics. Jeffrey Lehman is Professor of Political Science at the University of Notre Dame. He, too, has written a lot about religion and politics and is currently the co-editor of the journal Political Behavior. David and Jeff are joining me today. The third author is John C. Green, the Emeritus Director of the Bliss Institute of Applied Politics at the University of Akron. Dave, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. Let me just start off by asking, in general, why was this an exciting idea to write a book about, the the nuns, the secular surge itself? This is Dave. Um, I would answer that by saying, as far as I'm concerned, the rise of people with no religious affiliation, the nuns, as you called them, is one of the most significant developments on the American social scene in the last generation. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about this population because typically all you learn about them is that, well, these are people who say they have no religion, as though that means everybody in that group is the same when we know they're not. And so one of the objectives of this project was to try to figure out, well, are there differences among those people and how might we understand that? And are there people who have a secular worldview who maybe still do claim a religious affiliation. And there, we found there actually are a lot of those people. Um, Jeff, is there anything you'd want to add to that? Yeah, this is Jeff. I would say that um, I agree with everything Dave said there. Um, I think a big part of what excited us about the project from a, the standpoint of political scientists is the idea that politics may be driving um, a good bit of this rise of the nuns. And we're not the first people to, to think about that or look at that. We think we've done it maybe more systematically than a lot of people. Um, but the idea that the rise of the so-called religious right um, uh, has turned people away from uh, not just politics, but also religion, if they don't share the same conservative Republican political identity, um, that seems to be um, most common among religious people. One of the things I have noticed in the past few years is it seems like a lot of the uh, political science that's been written about this surge really focuses on 2016 as if it wasn't building up before that time. And the weird thing for me is if you asked me 20 years ago, uh, what was going on in the atheist movement. It was it was a lot of the same conversations we're having now, which is there seemed to be a response, a backlash to a conservative Christian president and a feeling that atheists needed to uh, play defense, if nothing else. But like, is it fair to trace what we're seeing today back a few presidencies ago? Or is what you're seeing now a relatively new phenomenon in terms of the the substance of it? Uh, this is Dave. 
your intuition is entirely correct that this is not something that just came about in 2016 because of Trump and you know all it was associated with Trump's embrace of evangelicals and vice versa. In fact, if you look at the data, this allergic reaction to the religious right that Jeff was just describing really started in the late 1980s, early 1990s. So we wouldn't want to put a single year on it, but it was during that era. And that's when the religious right as a movement was really emerging. And that's long before Donald Trump. In fact, that's even before George W. Bush was on the scene. Was yeah, there I, I, would, yeah. I, I would say... Um, you know, I think it's more general to to the party, and in many ways, it began with Ronald Reagan. Um, but it, I think, it really became most evident to to the public probably in 1992. That was a Republican National Convention at which uh, Pat Robertson spoke in prime time, the evangelical leader, and uh, Pat Buchanan spoke in prime time and talked about a culture war for the soul of America, and I think that that fusion of Republican and religious conservative religious really came together then. And, and in many ways has been growing ever since. And now, as we've seen with Trump, doesn't even really need an evangelical president or even a particularly religious president to continue to, to strengthen. Do you think one thing that's frustrated me as an atheist is that, when it comes to the religious right, say what you will about their politics or views, they're effective and they do have a lot of power within the Republican coalition. That doesn't seem to be the case when it comes to atheists or nuns in general within the Democratic Party. And I guess, uh, do you feel like Democratic politicians, uh, especially at the top of the ticket in national positions, do they acknowledge that non-religious Americans are a significant part of their coalition, are they ever going to do anything to try to win over those voters because they need us? Because from the activist perspective, it seems like they still treat us as poison, like they want to avoid us. They'll take our votes, but they're not really reaching out to us. But I wonder if that's you think that's about to change or if that has changed. I'm, I'm chuckling as you uh, speak because you have nicely, <laughs> maybe a little more vividly than we might put it in our uh, you know, political science prose, the situation within the Democratic Party. So it is undeniably the case that many Democratic Party activists are highly secular. We see that in, for example, surveys of the delegates who go both to the national conventions, but also the state conventions that the parties run. But you are entirely correct that this is not a constituency that necessarily gets a lot of attention, particularly if you compare the secular activists in the Democratic Party ranks to, say, evangelicals in the Republican Party ranks. But that's not to say that they're completely invisible. So we can point to examples here and there of some politicians, Democratic politicians in particular, um, who have referenced the secular population. Um, in fact, Barack Obama did so in his uh, inaugural address. Admittedly, it was a small reference, and it wasn't like he made the whole speech about that group, but, you know, that's significant. Um, and the other are other examples. Bernie Sanders is somebody who's probably a little more comfortable talking about secularism than, than others might be, but um, I don't think, he, I wouldn't expect to hear much from Joe Biden, at least not in the short term. 
uh, reaching out to the secular population, but we've been wrong before. Prediction's hard, especially about the future. <laughs> if I can add to that, then, like, strategically speaking, if, if the Democratic Party came to you and said, we want to hire you, how do we reach out and get the voters who are already leaning in our direction? I mean, strategically, do you think it would be a good move to tell them you should do more to embrace the secular vote by not by embracing atheism, but by saying, look, we stand for church state separation. We can, we, we stand for these issues. Would that be a good strategic move or would that actually uh, hurt them in some way? Um, it's very hard to say. I think, uh, I think it could potentially hurt them because it's a matter of mobilization. It's a matter of activism, as you've said, uh, it's not so much a matter of atheists, agnostics, secularists, humanists going over and voting Republican. That seems pretty unlikely in any sort of sizable numbers. But it's a matter of turnout and mobilization and contributions, uh, both financial and in terms of energy. And so I, I can see how it would. Um, at the same time, the Democratic Party has this this tightrope it has to walk because it still has a large part of its constituency, especially African-American Protestants, um, many Catholics still, even many um, Jewish Democrats who like a candidate like Biden who talks a lot about faith. Um, and, and so it's difficult, but I do think that um, the Democratic Party um, risks losing some of its more active supporters not to the Republicans, but just staying at home. Um, because what we're finding is that now almost a majority or maybe even a majority of the most active Democrats are what we call secularists. So that would include atheists, agnostics, humanists, and so on. Um, you know, to some extent, I think right now the Republican Party does the Democratic Party's work for them. Uh, when you have a Republican Party that is so overtly religious and so anti-science, um, that mobilizes atheists and agnostics and humanists and people who care about science. And so a candidate like Joe Biden can appeal to a secularist constituency by talking about science, by saying, I'm going to have a science czar. We're going to take the science seriously. Um, and I think that does a lot of the work, particularly when contrasted with the current Republican Party. If the Republicans were to nominate, um, uh, you know, somebody who was who was more moderate, you know, to go back and nominate Mitt Romney again, or or Paul Ryan, somebody who who at least talks about taking evidence and science seriously. That may put the Democrats in a little bit more of a dilemma of we really need to to reach out to the pro-rationalism, pro-science constituency, uh, and a disproportionate number of those people are going to be in, in the secularist camp. Let me follow up on one thing you said. If they, if Joe Biden or whoever said, you know, we are going fully on board with the church-state separation side of things, you suggested maybe that would uh, push away some of the religious voters for Democrats. Um, I guess one argument I've heard from atheists is, no, 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 that's the sort of uniting winning issue that we all could get behind, because a lot of those religious people are progressive, they are more liberal. So uh, the argument is that Democrats ought to embrace those things because those groups would be on board are you suggesting, no, 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 that might actually push them away? 
Or is it just depends on who's talking, how they're talking about it more than anything else? Uh, this is Dave. I, I would say that it's a little bit of both. So yes, it matters who's talking about it and, and maybe more importantly, how they're talking about these issues because our data definitely shows what you're suggesting, that there is a coalition to be built between religious progressives and secularists. That would include atheists, but as Jeff said, it's not limited only to people who identify as atheists, other people with uh, you know secular self-identifications. Um, because when it comes to issues, they often agree. They agree on a lot of stuff. And the thing about successful politicians, the truly successful ones— they figure out ways to build those coalitions, right? So how did Barack Obama unite the two wings of the Democratic Party? Well, he did it by carefully crafting policy messages and probably just from the way he presented himself by winning over both wings of the party. And I'm actually reasonably confident that there are Democrats out there who are able to do that. They are able to construct that coalition. It doesn't seem to me like it's out of reach. Fair enough. Um, One thing that has come up over and over is Republicans and Republican voters, uh, they care about the Supreme Court. They see that as a tool to achieve whatever it is they want to achieve. Democrats historically don't. (laughs) They're not very good at uh, getting their base riled up about the Supreme Court. But I wonder when, especially after four years of Donald Trump and how we've seen conservatives really take over the Supreme Court, do you see that changing as if uh, highlighting the ways the Supreme Court can play a role in in defending religious liberties as liberals see it? Will that become a winning issue for Democrats? Because it is for Republicans. Jeff? Uh, yeah, I think it's quite possible. Um, I think there are a number of reasons why the Democrats haven't cared about the court um, as much as Republicans Part of it is that traditionally there's been a liberal majority on the court, uh, and now that it's gone away, so there's there's something to fight for now, um, and the Republicans have had that in the past. Also, I think um, Republicans and their religious constituency, I wouldn't call the religious right um, or conservative Catholics necessarily even a single-issue constituency, but the single issue of abortion, I think, mobilizes the religious right more than it does, more than pro-choice does on the secular left. Our own findings in the book suggest that um, secularists within the Democratic Party are liberal on everything um, and, and probably care more about other issues like human rights, like social welfare, um, like human advancement, more than they care about sort of the culture wars agenda um, of abortion and LGBTQ rights and things like that. Not that they don't care about those, but I think the agenda is broader. Um, but I is think there, we, is there a left wing equivalent to abortion that could galvanize Democrats in the way abortion does for Republicans? Have well, you found anything that, that suggests like this could be the thing if, if they got their stuff or is it too broad that no, not one issue. It's not going to do it. Well, um, I, I'd have to think of, of the issue. I, I, I think that, that science and anti-science may be the thing that mobilizes uh, a lot of Democrats, including secularists. But I think the other thing that's going on is that 
um, Democrats are realizing, well, now that Trump got his pro-life majority, he's also got a majority that is going to, um, you know, continue to uphold Citizens United and is going to threaten the Affordable Care Act and is going to vote in a lot of ways on other issues way beyond abortion that are threatening to progressive values. So I, I think regaining the majority on the court or preventing um, further incursions on the sorts of values that progressives hold dear on the court itself could be a mobilizing issue. And if I could just add one little bit to that, um, I, I agree with what Jeff is saying about you know the potential for the court itself to be the mobilizing issue. But it's not outside the realm of possibility that there could be an issue that is emphasized on the left that maybe never perfectly reflects what you find on the right with abortion. Abortion is perhaps a singular issue, but you could imagine more emphasis being placed on, as Jeff suggested, um, science as an issue. That might be a little too broad, so maybe narrower than that, um, the environment could potentially be one. In fact, if I had to pick one, if I were a strategist, um, that's the one that I would probably say, yeah, why don't we emphasize that um, as climate change continues to wreak havoc with our lives? I think that's becoming a very real issue for people who in the past maybe thought about, about it just in abstract terms. But, you know, now they're having to boil snow in Texas you know, <laughs> in order to get drinking water, that kind of thing. This may be a similar type of question, but uh, what is it that the left is missing that the right has when it comes to having a powerful voting block that is kind of uh, guided by their beliefs or lack thereof when it comes to religion? Like, is there some sort of glue that is missing on the left that galvanizes them? Like uh, abortion being an example for something that works on the right. It certainly gets people motivated and excited to vote in certain ways. Is there a glue that the left is missing there or is it a, a lack of anything or is it you're trying to herd cats? You're not going to find anything that brings them all together. Um, this is Dave again. And yes, there, there is definitely a herding cats <laughs> uh, element to this. And by which I mean um, the secular population is uh, very diverse. We should remember that um, even in the way people describe themselves. So, you know, they're not all necessarily atheists or secularists. They often think of themselves in different terms. But if you, I had to point to one glue that might be missing, it's frankly no secular equivalent to a church. So Sunday no community morning, that brings them together regularly. Sunday morning, 10 a.m., I know where to find churchgoers. Sunday morning, 10 a.m., where are the secularists? They're all over the place. Now, maybe because we're moving into a completely, you know, virtual online world, maybe that will be less of an issue. But I think it's fair to say that whatever happens online still doesn't quite match the potency of what you might experience in a religious congregation. So that, that, in my opinion, is the big impediment to the building of a secular left is that they don't have that pre-existing organizational ecosystem that you find in the religious world. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I think it's worth saying a couple of things. One, there is a failure, and I hope our book helps with this, there's a failure to understand that nuns is not really a category. Um, it's a social science category, but it doesn't exist in the real world. People who are simply none, who have no religious identity, 
Um, also, most of them have no secularist identity or identity as an atheist or agnostic or as a humanist, but many people do. And that identity we have found actually is mobilizing. The lack of a religious identity in and of itself is demobilizing politically. So I think there may be a, a lack of understanding um, among many political elites, including Democratic Party elites, that there is a component of non-religious people that is that has a very positive identity and that um, feels very deeply about issues that are connected to that identity and are, are willing to work and contribute on behalf of those issues. The other thing I think I'd say is that Dave and I uh, and our colleague John Green have been studying this now for, for a little over a decade. And I think just over that period of time, we have seen a, a growth of a secularist community and a secularist identity. It is nowhere near um, you know, mega churches and evangelical and fundamentalist churches and its organization and its ability to mobilize people um, at the drop of a hat. But it's growing. Um, it's partly online. It's partly in person. Um, and, and I think as that grows, as the identity grows and as organization grows, um, it has a long way to go to catch up with the churches, which have a you know, a couple thousand year head start, yeah. uh, but it, there's more potential for, for secular identity to be a mobilizing force today in 2021 than there was in 2010 when we first started studying this. Indeed, this, this podcast itself is an example of that, you know, identity building, you know, people coming together in this case to listen to a podcast, but, uh, you know, similar things are happening in other um, media as well. Uh, since the book is called Secular Surge, uh, maybe one of you can give me some numbers here. But one question I'm trying to figure out is, you know, when there's a surge, are we at a peak? I mean, because the percentage of the American public that is non-religious, like mathematically can't go up forever. Have we hit the peak or how or where are we on the surge? How much more? Uh, how how much large of a percentage could we go here realistically or are we kind of leveling off at some point? Because certainly on the ground as an activist or writing about this stuff, it's not nearly as exciting quote unquote to be an atheist like today as it was in like the late two thousands. You know what I mean? When there was like that new atheism movement. Um, so I wonder if it's leveled off and our numbers are relatively static or is there room to grow? Um. Why don't I speak for a second, Jeff, and then you can chime in as well. Um, every year, the Pew Research Center puts out a big study of the religious landscape in America. And one of the things they report is percentage of people who say they have no religion. And every year when that number comes out, I expect it to finally plateau. Like it's not going to go, but it keeps going up. Now, that's, as we've said, just one way to look at the secular population, but it's a useful indicator. So I would say, at least based on that measure, there does appear to be room to grow. And then in our own data where we do more than just look at who doesn't have a religious affiliation, but instead look at the secular beliefs people might hold or the secular identities they might embrace, at least over the period that we've been collecting data, we continue to see growth. So I don't think we've hit the ceiling yet. There, there, there must be a ceiling, but I don't think we're there yet. And if I can add, Jeff, before you answer, 
where are they coming from? Because this is a zero-sum game. So are they coming from one religious group, or are they uh, just never joining one to begin with? Are we talking like second, third generation secular Americans or somewhere else? Well, uh, I would say, first of all, to go back to the previous question, I think there's a lot of room to to grow because even though non-religion has increased by about five-fold from the early 1990s, we're still nowhere close to Europe um, in terms of non-belief and non-affiliation. So if you think the United States is on a path toward what we see in a lot of Europe, um, there's still a long way to go. Now, I think there are things that will continue to work in the United States to make us a more religious country and to maintain our exceptionalism to some degree. But but I don't think we're, we're close to that yet. Um, in terms of where the secular population is coming from, well, I think to, to a large extent, um, it's coming from the larger group of nuns. Just being nun um, is something of, of kind of a halfway house between being religious and being secularist. But at the same time, I think it's also important to note, and we note this in the book, that there are religious people, people who affiliate with religions, who may attend church or worship services of some sort, who also identify with secularism, who identify with a rationalist, uh, humanist way of viewing the world. Um, and, and they may be, and they're already in the community to some extent, but they may also have sort of one foot in and one foot out of religion. Um, certainly younger people, better educated people, more urban people are the most likely um, to be in the secularist movement. Um, this is something I'm trying to figure out right now, which is there is a small faction, like literally a small handful of uh, atheists who use that term, who have said we are trying to make a dent within the Republican Party. We think when we go to gatherings of Republicans. There are people there who are not into the culture wars, which is obviously true. Some of them are not. Um, and they are susceptible. Uh, I, mean, I mean that in a good way. They're susceptible to our message of atheism and let's say church state separation, things like that. I happen to roll my eyes whenever they talk about this. But I guess my question for you, since you've been looking at the data here is, do you think there is room in the Republican party for a non-religious block or a group of people? Or or do you think, no, this is a party that is overwhelmingly uh, catering to the religious right, and atheism is a non-starter in that party in general? Um, this is Dave. I, I would say, actually, w we have an answer to that question, or at least hints of it. In 2012, we saw an interesting spike in the percentage of Republican convention delegates. So these are people who go to the Republican National Convention. So these are party activists, right? That's how you get to, to go. That's, that's your ticket to the convention. And we saw an uptick in Republican delegates to that convention who are secular, you know, in, in, in the way that we describe these, these Democratic Party um, activists. And why was that? Well, it's because they're libertarians, and in 2012, they were there to support uh, Ron Paul. Now, the libertarian wing of the Republican Party 
has waned a bit in the Trump years and called Donald Trump a lot of things, but he's not a libertarian. But that wing of the party is still there. You know, Ron Paul's son, Rand, is still a very vocal part of the Republican Party. And there are, of course, other libertarians around the country. And so it's not outside the realm of possibility that more libertarians who have a secular worldview would be a larger presence in the party. I I think it's unrealistic that it'd ever be a massive part of the activist base of the party, but it's, you know, not crazy. In fact, if you go back, not all that far, you know, Ayn Rand herself used to rail about the religious right because she was an atheist, as I understand it, or certainly she had a, a secular way of looking at the world. And, you know, she's worshipped by many on the right. So. Right. Well, one reason I bring it up is uh, there is a difference, obviously, between the sort of people who would become delegates to the Republican Party and the actual elected officials. As far as I can tell, there is not a single state level or national level elected Republican who is openly non-religious And it's not like there's more than there's only one in Congress who's openly non-theistic, but there's at least several dozen state level officials who are openly non-religious. That is not true of the Republican Party. So I guess in that vein, I don't know. Is it just okay? They may represent party leadership. They are delegates, but they're not electable in the Republican coalition. I think that's right. I think the obviously religious people in the United States tend to be Republican and the Republican base is very religious. And despite the spike of secularist activism we saw uh, with Rand, uh, with Ron Paul, not with Mm. Rand Paul, but with (laughs) Ron, um, we're still only talking about a 10% of Republican convention delegates at most. Um, so I think it's almost impossible for Republicans at this point to win without the the very religious base of the party. On the other hand, um, just as Democrats want to be competitive in the South and the Midwest, Republicans want to be competitive in local politics and in congressional politics in the Northeast and on the West Coast. And the base of the Republican Party, to the extent that it exists, um, is not the religious right quite as much. And so there may be an ability to appeal to libertarians um, with a, a less religious candidate, or at least a less overtly religious candidate. Um, one other interesting thing about Trump is that um, Trump actually was relatively attractive to what we call the nuns. Um, people who lack a religious identity, but also lack a secularist identity. Um, Those people tend to be somewhat less well-educated, but among white people who are simply nuns, they, um, you know, they supported Trump significantly more than they supported George W. Bush or John McCain or Mitt Romney. So it's sort of interesting, the dynamic, Um, certainly secularists, um, were even more democratic during the Trump years, but but the so-called nuns in and of themselves were not. So there is space depending on who the candidate is, and Trump obviously played to different sides depending on who he was talking to, but parts of what he said certainly appealed to people who didn't have any religious affiliation right, there. Right. One question I'm trying to figure out, and and I think this is the last one I have for you here, is... Um, I'm not the first 
hardly the first to point out there is a difference between the religion that is preached within a lot of these evangelical churches and the policies of the GOP under Trump. And obviously people have noted the the hypocrisy there. And I guess one thing I'm trying to figure out now, because since Trumpism still continues in the Republican Party, does that religious hypocrisy, um, does it matter when it comes to the way uh, people practice their faith or whether they, you know, adhere to Republican Party politics? Or is one of those things going to cave at some point? Because at some point, these two things are going head to head and they found a way to bridge that gap so far. But is something going to give between these two sides? And I don't know, does evangel- like white evangelical Christianity, does that suffer in the long term because of what's happening right now? Or is it the Republican Party that suffers because the religious gospel wins out there? I don't know if I'm clear on that question. <laughs> yeah, I, I can take a stab. Um, I, I think that is that is increasingly recognized. Now, to what extent it's actually going to lead to um, religious people leaving the Republican Party or leaving evangelicalism? Um, we have a PhD student who's working on issues like that of um, and, and is telling us that a lot of the evangelicals he knows don't call themselves evangelicals. They just call themselves Christians because of what they see as both hypocrisy and narrowing Christianity down to support for pro-life on abortion and support for Donald Trump. That's all it means. And it means much more to them. Um, And I actually think there's potential for coalitions. Dave talked about the environment. Um, There are petitions, there are, there's potential for broader coalitions that transcend party lines um, on the environment, because of course, people with a secular identity um, are very um, concerned about the environment and climate change and are very pro-environment, but so is the Catholic Church today under Pope Francis. And there is a, a burgeoning um, creation care movement within evangelicalism. So you can imagine among younger Catholics and evangelicals and secularists, some energy around the environment, um, would that ever translate to those, those younger evangelicals, especially voting Democratic? That's less clear, but I think there is, um, among the thinking elements of American evangelicalism, um, there has long been talk about you know, prioritizing politics above faith and, and critics of that ever since the first religious right organizations emerged in the 1980s. Um, But I think it's growing. I mean, you're seeing Michael Gerson, columnist for the Washington Post, speechwriter for George W. Bush, um, renowned evangelical, being very critical of his own faith for for sort of bastardizing the faith in some way um, to bring it into line with Trumpism. Um, and so I think those splits are starting to emerge. On the other hand, we've talked about those for, for 40 years, and we've never quite seen um, the split take shape. Um, another thing that's worth noting is um, there was a growth in white evangelicalism through the 1970s, maybe through the early 1980s. They then plateaued as a share of the population and now have begun to shrink. So it's not clear that either through conversion, but is bringing new people into the flock, or retention, holding on to their young, that evangelicals are succeeding 
to the extent today that they were in the past. And I have no doubt in my mind that much of that is because of the political radioactivity that's associated with evangelicalism as a movement. No doubt the pastors in a lot of these larger churches know all that, but are they do, are they, uh, I know this is outside the scope of what you study, but is that something they are concerned about? Like they have to be concerned about it, but also I don't see them doing anything to reverse that tide anytime soon. The, 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 the smarter ones are, <laughs> or, 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 or maybe another way to put it might, might be that the, the younger ones are. And, and, and I would actually say you, you should not, ever rule out the entrepreneurial nature of American religion. And so I would not be surprised, actually, if what you see in the medium-term future is a an emergence of a sort of non-political, non-partisan version of evangelicalism. And there have been attempts at that, but it's like they keep getting sucked into the vortex of <laughs> politics. But if somebody could ever figure out how to successfully break out of that orbit, um, I think there probably is a market for that. Well, thank you so much. The book is called Secular Surge, A New Fault Line in American Politics. This is Dave Campbell and Jeff Lehman. Thank you both so much. Thank you. We've enjoyed this. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun.